I, uh, I love that video of Moses and James. Um, James could not look any more Orange County, right? Like, <laughs> and what's funny about him is that is his uniform. That's how he looks every day. Shorts, Hawaiian shirt, cap, visor. He came here. They came here like last fall. It was super cold. Didn't matter. It was shorts, Hawaiian shirt. That's what he wears every day. Um, one one thing uh, real quick, uh, on your seat or on a seat around you uh, in and amongst all the other stuff are a couple of invite cards. Um, starting next month, we're beginning a, a brand new series called Wordplay, um, just talking about how what we say and how we say it matters. And so if you think about your life, um, the quality of your life, the direction of your relationships, all of that stuff um, is constantly being shaped and formed by the words that you use and the conversations you're having. And so we're going to take a whole month and, uh, and talk about that, talk about the conversation you're having with yourself, the conversation that you have with uh, other people, the conversation you have with other people about other people, um, and ultimately the conversation that you're having with God. And so I just want to encourage you, take a couple of those, invite a friend, neighbor, somebody, coworker, whatever, family member, um, bring them along with you. Uh, this is going to be a great series. I think it'll be super helpful. Um, so uh, w- one of the problems, uh, or maybe it's just kind of this annoying thing about church in general, um, is that uh, oftentimes, and maybe you've had this experience when you go, um, we can often talk about these really big things, these, these really deep things about life and faith and God. Uh, but when we talk about them, sometimes we talk about them like they're all just really super simple and super easy and super straightforward. Or we'll read a, read a, a verse from the scriptures and we're just like, you like, I don't have any idea what that means or what that's saying. But then the conversation kind of turns where it's like everybody just assumes everybody knows what it's talking about. For some reason, it's really easy in settings like this for Christians, those of us who are church people or followers of Jesus, to act like we actually, to, 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 that we know things that we actually don't know. That, that, that life and everything about God and faith and the Bible just always makes sense. Uh, because the truth is that the gospel is simple, but if you've been a follower of Jesus for any length of time, you know that following Jesus isn't, isn't always that simple. I mean, the message of Jesus isn't really that complicated. It's pretty straightforward, even if you don't believe it. I mean, there's very few times when you read the gospels, when you read the stories of Jesus, where Jesus is talking and people are like, we don't need any man, no, no idea. You know what he's talking about? I mean, I did what he's talking about. No, there's very few times where that was happening. People knew exactly what he was talking about. Now, whether or not they wanted to believe it or do it or follow it, that was a different story. See, the message of Jesus is really clear, but the way of Jesus, following Jesus, it, it, always, it isn't always that clear. So my family and I, we moved um, from Southern California to Eagle in late 2019. We got kind of moved here right, right after Thanksgiving in uh, first part of December. And then I had, we had to go back in the middle of December, get our daughter who was finishing up uh, this, uh, her first semester of her senior year. Uh, and then our son was, drove over from um, Arizona where he is. And we all met in Southern California and drove back up to uh, Idaho. And so we were coming into town in the middle of December and uh, we, take, we took 15, it's like a 15 hour drive, but we take 15 up through Salt Lake City because we just like the freeway. Uh, and so we were cutting across 84, coming out of Salt Lake City, coming into to Eastern Idaho and it was snowing and it was cold. And it just, the farther we got you know, closer to home, it was super late at night because we'd been on the road all day. Um, and, and it just was snowing and snowing and snowing and slowly over time, little by little, the road just disappeared. And there was hardly anybody on the road. And so it was terrifying. And eventually it was like, you can't see the lines. You don't know where the road is. You don't know where the road ends and where the, the shoulder begins. And, uh, and so eventually, you know, I saw a truck. And so I just found a truck and got on his 
bumper and just followed him. I'm like, if wherever this guy goes, I'm going to follow him. He's going to plow, you know, he's going to, if there's something in front of it, he's going to run into it and then, you know, clear the way. Uh, but I, I don't know if that, if that has ever happened to you, whether it was in the snow or fog or a, a sandstorm that kind of happened to us one time in Vegas when we were living there. And then we spent some time, you know, we, my wife grew up in Sacramento. We live in Sacramento and they get really bad fog. Uh, but, but it's pretty unnerving when it happens, right? Because you're just jamming along the freeway. All of a sudden, there's no visibility and it's very disorienting. It doesn't even make sense how disorienting it is because you, you knew that the freeway is just completely straight. There's no turns or bends, there's nothing. But as soon as you can't see it, it feels like I don't even know where to go right now. Like, do we turn left? Do we turn right? Is there something coming up? Like, and, and you don't even know if you're going the right way. And you get all these weird fears when you're driving blind. And even if it's completely irrational, you don't know if you're going to go over a cliff or drive off a bridge or drive off the road into the ditch or into a building. And you don't know if other cars are going to crash into you or if you're going to smash into them. And then people do ridiculous things that like they just slow down or even stop on the freeway, which is incredibly dangerous, right? Because nobody, you don't know, you can't see them coming and they can't see you when they're, until they're right on top of you. And, and it's completely disorienting and unnerving. But that experience that, that sense of not knowing, not being able to see where you're going, not knowing where you're going or how you're gonna get there, not being able to see, that tension and confusion that it causes, that, that is a really good picture, not only for when you know, you're driving in bad weather, but also for these moments and seasons in our lives where we can just be kind of cruising along in our life in a direction that we're pretty confident we're supposed to be going in, but then something happens in some situation or some in, information enters the picture or somebody else comes into the picture and suddenly what was once crystal clear is now incredibly cloudy. And you, you may know what I'm talking about because at one time you were like, I know exactly what I'm supposed to do with my life and my career and where I'm headed. And, and you were on that track and you were going and then something happened and, and, and it just completely derailed everything. You lost your job or whatever, you got laid off and things changed or the industry shifted. And you're just like, I don't even know what I'm supposed to do now. I, don't, I, I thought this was the thing for me, but I don't know where to go. Or, or you, you had this picture in your life and what your family was like and what your marriage was gonna be like and, and you knew the path you were on and you were going that direction, but then now something's happened and things feel unstable or the papers got served or you know, whatever it is and starts, the family feels like it's falling apart. And you're just like, I just, I don't even know where to go or what to do, right? And we even use that kind of language when we talk about those seasons or those moments in our in our life, right? Like whenever we're confused or we're uncertain or not sure about what we're doing or where we're going, we talk about things as being fuzzy or blurry or cloudy. I mean, if somebody tells you that there's a, the, like things feel really cloudy in their life right now, or there's an area of their life that feels cloudy, none of us would assume that that means that things are going great, right? That they're just full of exciting possibilities. No, we would assume that, that, that they're feeling a little bit lost or maybe a little bit sad or just kind of dreading that something bad is about to happen or there's something on the horizon that's coming that they just can't figure out what it is. The truth is, and, and, and honestly, most of us don't mind a few clouds here and there, Right? But there's a reason why so many people gravitate towards places where the sun shines for far more days than it's hidden away by a cloudy, overcast sky. And that's true whether we're talking about the weather or whether we're talking about life. And it's usually about this time of year that I'm like, can we just get to fall and it cool down and I'm sick of the heat and bring on the, bring on the snow. 
But it's even harder for us, right, when we're talking about faith, when we're talking about God, when God seems to be hidden. Like, have you ever had an experience where you felt like, God, like, I I would follow you. Like, I really would if I could just see where you are, if I could understand where it is that you're going or where you're leading me. I've had those experiences. And, And we're certainly not the first ones to feel that. The scriptures are full of stories of people who felt and thought that same thing, who said that same thing to God, which makes it a little bit surprising that one of the images that God gives us in the scriptures for the Holy Spirit, for his spirit, for his presence with us is that of a cloud. Because the people of God had a similar relationship with the mystery and uncertainty of life that we do. They were just people like we are, which is why... In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for cloud, excuse me, just means to conceal or to cover because for them, the clouds symbolically separated God from us. It separated God's realm from our realm, his knowledge from our knowledge. Ultimately, the clouds symbolized what God knows and who God is from what we don't know and who we aren't, which is actually really important to know because it means when you read the scriptures, God has this long history of being hidden in the clouds, being shrouded in mystery. And it's all over the place. In fact, it's even in Jesus's final moment on earth because there's stories in the Old Testament and the New Testament, this particular moment in Jesus's life, he's giving his disciples these last minute instructions for what's next. And when he finishes talking, one of the disciples who was there, his name's Luke, he was taking notes and writing down what happened. Luke says that while he was standing there talking, after he finishes talking, they're all standing around with Jesus. And you know, you know that moment when you're just like, all right, we're gonna go. And then you leave and you all go together. You like say goodbyes and it's tearful, but then you walk out and you realize you're all walking together and then it's awkward and you gotta say goodbye again. So I imagine like Jesus, they, they're saying their goodbyes. They, they don't know if it's goodbye. Jesus says this final thing. And then Jesus just begins to rise up into the air and he ascends into he- out of their sight into heaven and he disappears into the clouds. And they're all standing there staring into the clouds wondering like, where did he go? They're trying to see him. Well, what are we supposed to do now? They're looking around like, what, what happens now? You can actually read the whole story in the book of Acts in chapter one. And this wasn't the first time that God's people had stared at the clouds trying to figure out where to go or what to do. Because 1500 years before that moment, God actually used a guy named Moses to deliver his people from slavery and oppression in the nation of Egypt. And so Pharaoh, the leader in Egypt, finally lets God's people go and watch what happens in Exodus chapter 13. It says, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. And after leaving a place called Succoth, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way. And by night, in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or by night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of them. So think about this for a moment. These people, the people, the nation of Israel, they had only known slavery in Egypt. In fact, their parents and their great-grandparents and their great-great-grandparents and going back multiple generations for 450 years, this entire nation had been enslaved in Egypt. And so now they're set free and they're going, but they have no idea where they're going. And God doesn't tell them where they're going and he doesn't tell them how to get there. Instead, 
they get a fire at night that they have to follow and a cloud during the day that they're supposed to follow. And I think there's part of that that's incredible because they, they, they just had no idea what to do. And so God's going, I'm gonna make it super easy. I'm gonna put a, a, a ball of fire at night and a cloud during the day and you just follow it. Like, I, I, and I don't know about you, but doesn't it seem like your life and your faith would just be so much easier if God did something like that for you, right? If, if you got up at night and you're like, there's the fireball. Oh, it's moving. I gotta go follow it, right? Or you got up in the morning and you're like, there's that cloud. I gotta follow that cloud. Like that would just make it so much easier to know what God wanted you to do. I mean, I would imagine like when I read this, I'm like a fireball, like a ball of fire every night. And that's incredible. It's like, hooray, we're having s'mores again tonight, kids. Woo! But we're not talking about a few hundred people. We're talking about a mass of over a million people. And so I immediately thought like, how big did that fire have to be for them to all to see it? Right? Like, like if it's just this little tiny ball, it's like, did you see it? It's like three or four of us can see it, but we got to trust that you're following it. Or was it big enough for a million people to go, there's the ball of fire in the sky. Let's follow it. And have you ever tried to follow a cloud? Like, wait, wait, wait. Did you guys see where the cloud went? Like, where's, where's it at? Oh, there it is. Okay. I mean, is it actually leading us somewhere? Because it kind of just seems like it's being blown around by the wind. Wait, is this, is this our cloud? I thought we were following the cloud that kind of looked like that turtle. Like, wasn't that the one over there? See, the reality is there's a lot of trust involved in following God, even when you're following a cloud, right? So the, the people of God are like, where are we going, God? Where are we going? And we're like that too. Like, God, I really need to know what's going on before I move forward. Where am I going? I need some information. And God's like, look, I have the info. I got everything. I, I got it under control. You just need to trust me and listen to me and follow me. See, God was trying to teach them what he's trying to teach you and I, is that you don't need to know what God knows in order to trust what God says and follow where God leads. By the way, when we were reading those verses, did you catch in the story what God knew that they didn't know? Did you catch why God had them take the route that they took? Because there was a shorter, faster route. There was a more direct route to where they were going. Why didn't they go that way? Instead, God took them the long way around. He led them on the desert road into the desert. And if you keep reading the story, they're like, why are we in the desert? Have you ever felt like that? Like, hey, God, we, I think we kind of missed our exit back there. Like, why are we going this way? Like, how did I end up here? What are you doing? Why did you lead me out here? Things were so good. Why aren't we going that other way? How come that person's going that way? Why can't I go that way? But we read it in the story. God didn't take them that shorter, more direct route because they didn't know it, but they had enemies that way. And if they went the shorter, faster way, the way that made sense to them, they would have had to fight and battle every single step of the way. And it wasn't that God couldn't bring them through. It wasn't that God was like, well, if they go that way, then they'll be conquered again. No, he, he's like, I could help them overcome. They wouldn't be conquered, but God knew that, and he actually says, if they had to fight before they were ready, is basically what he's saying. They'd quit and they'd go back to their life of slavery in Egypt. They'd be overwhelmed and they'd just go back and undo all the work I just did delivering them. Isn't that, isn't that crazy that we're life that, like that, right? Like, like if God, life got too hard, they would just give up and they'd choose to go back to familiar, even, what, even when that familiar was slavery. 
See, I think part of what this story is telling us is that there's a lot of us, probably most of us, probably most of humanity who would rather live in the predictability of captivity than risk the uncertainty that comes in a fight for our freedom. And I don't just mean that like physically, I mean that spiritually too. That we would, we would rather just stay in a place where everything's familiar, even if it's not working right, even if, even if we feel constrained, even when we're broken and messed up, even when we've given in, right? We've allowed something to come in and take over our life. We'd rather just stay in what's familiar than follow Jesus into freedom. And so what does God do knowing this about them and knowing what was on that other route? God just takes them the long way around. See, this is why you can actually trust God. This is why you can follow the Holy Spirit because he knows better than you. He can see better than you. He knows the best path for you to take. I I love this verse in Psalm 104. It says this, it says, he, speaking of God, makes the clouds his chariot and rides on the wings of the wind. This guy named Nahum, he was an Old Testament prophet in chapter one, verse three. In his book, he wrote, the the billowing clouds are the dust beneath God's feet. See, what he's telling us is that all the unknowns, all the things that you can't see, all the things that you don't know about yourself, all the things that leave you unsettled and afraid, that all the things that we get obsessed with, that we wake up in the middle of the night with your mind just turning, all the mysteries that we feel like we need to solve and you're just trying to figure out that God is above it all, that the things that are hidden and confusing and mysterious and unknown, they all submit to God, that he makes the clouds his chariots, that under his feet are the billowing clouds. The biggest thing in your life that you are losing sleep over, that you're afraid of, that you're insecure about, the clouds that confuse and hide and conceal and cover and crowd out the light in your life, it's so small to God that he rests his feet on that thing. See, the, the, question, the question is, instead of knowing, which is what we really want, but so often don't get, instead of knowing, can we be content trusting and following the one who does know? In Isaiah chapter 55, God says these words. He says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine for just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God's going, you can't even conceive of what I know. I think the only way that we kind of get a glimpse of what he's talking about here is once we become a parent. Because when you have kids, kids wanna know everything. One of the things they especially want to know is why they have to do what you're telling them to do. And the answer is because you're paying the bills, right? That's why they got to do it. But I love being a dad. My kids are all super smart and clever and creative in all kinds of different ways. I have two that are adults and two that I'm still raising. But all four of them, when they're little, they just don't, they just don't know what you know, right? They, they, don't, they don't see what you see. My kids always trusted me. They, they know how to ask me for what they want or what they need in a given moment. And, and they believe that I'm able to deliver them the thing that they're asking for. But honestly, they don't have any idea. Your kids don't have any idea growing up what you're capable of or the things that you do behind the scenes of their life. 
that they benefit from but are completely unaware of, right? Like they, they want some milk or a cheeseburger or McDonald's, but you're trying to plan for them to go to college one day. They, they don't wanna go to bed, but they don't have any idea or thought of what's best for them or healthy for them. They, they don't have any idea or thought of what you do to make sure they have a home or even a bed to sleep in. Why? Well, because your thoughts and your ways are bigger and higher than theirs. And even, even with you know, having older kids now, where they start to feel like they kind of understand, they start to feel the weight and the reality of life kind of leaning in. The, the, honestly, there, there's still a huge piece of this that they don't get because we just, we just can't until that moment where we step into fully into adulthood and get married and start having kids of our own. Then we're just like, oh my gosh, now I get it. His ways, his thoughts. And here's the deal. The gap between you and me and our kids is tiny compared to the gap between you and me and God. We don't, we don't know where we need to go, much less how, how to get there. And so God sends the cloud. He gives us his presence, his spirit to lead us into the life that he has for us. Will we trust and follow him? Because in the end, God doesn't promise a life without uncertainty, but he does promise that we can be certain about who he is and why he's leading us where he's leading us. You can trust him. So there's another layer to this conversation because one of the images in the scriptures for the Holy Spirit that's kind of connected to clouds is this picture of water. And so throughout history, when you read the scriptures, Israel had a very interesting and kind of tenuous and rocky relationship with water, with the sea. And it kind of makes sense because they all grew up hearing the story of the great flood wiping out the planet. They all grew up, lived through it, or their parents or grandparents lived through the Exodus and crossing the Red Sea. And so water for them generations later still had a very negative connotation. In fact, the root word for water in Hebrew actually just means chaos. That's how they saw it. Like it's just unknown. It's chaotic when you get out on the water. In fact, if you go to Jerusalem today, like the Sea of Galilee is, is picturesque, but there's very few people that live in or around the edge of the Sea of Galilee. In fact, there's very few resorts. They don't build around the, why? Because it's just this very sense of like, it's chaos. So that being the case, think for a minute what this means when in the New Testament, when the disciples are out on the Sea of Galilee and they're trapped in a storm and, and they're, they're fishermen, they're experienced sailors, but they're on a boat and they believe the, the storm is so fierce, they believe they're gonna die. And the water is raging around them and the waves are crashing over the boat. And then here comes Jesus and he's sleeping in the boat and they wake him up and he gets up and he just goes out and he tells the water, the sea, the wind and the waves to calm down and it does. Or this other moment where he's not in the boat and they think they're gonna die and he comes walking across the water, gets in the boat and calms the whole storm down. See, when we read these stories, we're like, man, that's really cool. But it's also just kind of a random story. But when you look at it, you just begin to understand what God is doing. Like, it's not random at all. This is like an intentional sort of power move on God's behalf, declaring by God that we can trust him even in our most chaotic and out of control situations. But then there's this other piece to it. Proverbs chapter 20, verse five. 
says the purposes of a person's heart are deep, deep waters. Wait, so water, chaos, what's he, what's he driving at here? Well, let me show you. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9 kind of captures, I think, the essence of what that proverb is talking about. It says this. It says that the heart, the core of us is deceitful above all things and it's desperately sick. Who can understand it? Who can understand it? See, I think part of the conversation God's having with us in the scriptures is going, he's going like, how can you possibly explain or unpack the mystery of someone else when you can't really explain or unpack the mystery of your own heart? And when you think about it, it's true because haven't there been seasons or times in your life where it just felt like there was a storm raging in your soul? It has for, there have been for me. Haven't you had experiences where no matter what you did, you just kind of fell out of control? Like you weren't in control of what was going on on the inside of you and you were just sort of holding on, trying not to ruin your life by doing stupid stuff. Haven't you had moments where you caught a glimpse of something that was inside of you that you didn't know was there? Some chaos, some dark place. And all of a sudden you realize like, whoa, where did that come from? And it, it's scary, kind of uneasy. See, the chaos and confusion, like th- those things don't just describe the world outside of us. They also define the world the universe inside of us as well. And and that's one of the things I love about this conversation because that's the good news about Jesus is that no matter what's going on inside of us, no matter all the chaos and the confusion, no matter the craziness of our life, that Jesus walks across, walks into the middle. He steps into the middle of all of it and tells it to calm down. And then he invites us to begin to trust the Holy Spirit to move us, to guide us forward. By the way, there is a difference in life between confusion and uncertainty. A lot of times we equate them, we use them synonymously, but they are not the same, right? Confusion is different from being uncertain. And part of the reason why we use them, you know, sort of together is because there's times in our life where we know We know what we should do. We know what God is telling us to do. We know what the right thing to do is, but we don't want to do it. We don't want to go that way. Why? Because it feels risky. It feels scary. There's uncertainty. If we head off in that direction, we don't know what the other person's going to do or where this is going to end up. And so even though we know what we should do, we know where we should go, the uncertainty causes us to pull back and step. And so instead of going like, whoa, instead of admitting that we're afraid, we just go, ah, I'm just confused. I don't know what to do. I don't know what I should do. No, you know what to do. You're just afraid. See, because uncertainty is inevitable. But oftentimes we're the authors of our own confusion because confusion isn't inevitable. Speaking of the Holy Spirit, Jesus says in John chapter 16, he says there is so much more. He's talking to his disciples. It's nearing the end of his life. He's like, there's so much more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. When the Spirit, when the Holy Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. And so there it is again. 
Like Jesus is going like, there's so much I want to tell you about who I am and about what's coming and about what's in store for you, but I'm not going to. And he didn't tell them not because he was trying to manipulate or control them by keeping them in the dark and holding on to all the information. No, he didn't tell them because they couldn't handle it. He's like, there's so much I want to tell you, but you couldn't bear it. You, 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 it, it just would be too much. And this wasn't, this wasn't like an isolated incident. In fact, when you go back and read the story of the life of Jesus, the gospels are full of moments like this where Jesus held back from his disciples, where he didn't tell them stuff. And it was for their sake. It was because he loved them and cared about them. And he knew that if he told them what was coming, they'd be overwhelmed. And just like God with the people of Israel in the story of Exodus. He's like, if I tell you right now, you're not ready, you'll give up. You'll go back. There's also moments where Jesus did tell them exactly what was going to happen. They're like, we want to know. So he tells them and they just go right over their head. There's a moment where he's sitting with them and he's like, this is what's going to happen, guys. Speaking of himself, he's like, I'm going to be betrayed. One of you guys is going to betray me. I'm going to be handed over to the Roman authorities. I'm going to be tried, convicted, killed on a cross. And they're just like, yeah, all right, what's for lunch? just not even, doesn't even register. There's other times where he tells them what's coming and it just completely freaks them out. See, the the truth is like, if you haven't been around last week, we talked about this idea of the Holy Spirit as a dove. And that really was a conversation about how there's no matter what life is like, there's hope and that he's leading us, that God is leading us with his spirit into the future that God has for us. But this week, this idea of clouds is much more about us learning to trust him enough to follow him into that future. Even when we can't see where we're going, even when it doesn't make sense, even when we don't know. And honestly, if we're just being completely transparent, that's hard sometimes because we want the Holy Spirit to be like Google Maps we punch in where we want to go in our life, but, but he's not a map. He's more like a compass. See, we want the big picture of where our life is headed and the detailed outline of how to get there and we can pinch and zoom in and, oh yeah, that's how you go there. We want the step-by-step instructions, but that's not what we get with God. He gives us a due north. He gives us a direction that we should move. And when we trust him and when we follow the cloud, when we follow the Holy Spirit, he guides us, as Jesus said, he guides us into all the truth. He guides us into life. He guides us into freedom. See, no matter what your background in church with God or faith or the Bible, if this is your first time you're ever hearing any of this and thinking about the claims of Jesus or whatever, or you've grown up in church your whole life and you've been a follower of Jesus, no matter where you're at on that spectrum, this conversation is at the core of what God is wanting to do in your life because he's inviting you to trust him enough to let his presence and his spirit actually lead and direct and guide your life. And Notice that Jesus said he doesn't, he doesn't give us all the information. He doesn't lead us into all the information. No, he leads us. He guides us into truth. And so he asks us to trust him and begin to do things in our life and live our life his way. And I, I don't know about you, but that's really hard sometimes. Because look, my ways always make sense to me. That's why they're my ways. If your way made sense, I'd do it your way. But your way doesn't make sense. My way makes sense. And when it comes to God, God's ways certainly 
not so much make sense. But one of the hardest things for us to do is to trust God's spirit over our minds, which is, I think, why Jesus said this in Matthew 16. If any of you, if anyone wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. See, I think the challenge so many of us have as we step into a relationship with Jesus and we're totally cool with the fact that he died for us and he gives us life, but we still want to live our life our way. And he's like, it just just doesn't work like that. That's why you keep running and ramming your head against the wall. That's why it feels like it's always just, you're just, and then you look at me going, hey, I thought you were supposed to fix all this. See, the ultimate question in life is, am I going to do things my way or am I going to trust God and do them his way? Will I trust God enough to do what he's asked before I understand why he's asked me to do it? That's the fundamental question of a life of faith. Because the truth is, so much of what God is wanting to do, so much of what God is wanting to teach you in your life you will only learn through doing, hands-on, moving in that direction, experiencing. And in my own relationship with God, in my own faith experience, it's only been when I've been willing to move forward on what I know that things begin to click and actually become clearer. But whenever I refuse to act on what I already know, all of the things I don't know end up paralyzing me completely. And that's when I'm just like, I'm so confused. And God's like, you're not confused. You just don't want to do it. See, the reality is that obedience guards the treasure. And I know we kind of bristle at that word obedience because we're just like, nobody, I don't want to, nobody tells me what to do. The only person I obey is myself. But God isn't trying to control you. He's not trying to get you to obey for obedience sake. He's a loving father who's trying to guide you towards the best life and into all truth. And it's only when we trust him enough to follow him that we begin to experience that something is true before we understand why or how that it's true. And you can take all of these conversations, everything you read in the scriptures, the stuff we talk about around here all the time, stuff that, that you already know, and it, and, and, and it fits into this category, whether it's forgiving somebody who hurts you really, really deeply, right? Or, or whether it's, it's moving into your life more with humility, or whether it's learning to love your enemies or serving at church or living a generous life or giving or tithing or reading the scripture or any of the other conversations that ever come up around church and the Bible and faith is that when we begin to step into them on the surface, we're like, I don't know, God, that you're, way, you're telling me to do it your way, but that doesn't make a lot of sense. It feels risky. There's a lot of uncertainty with it. And so we're like, I just don't know what to do. And God's like, you know what to do you will only experience that something is true when you begin to move. And you'll experience that it's true before it ever makes sense as to why. And that's the thing, is that God can be a mystery to us and how he works in our lives can be really mysterious sometimes. But so many of the things that he's leading us to do are not mysterious at all. But we like to stall. (laughs) We like to stall and pretend that they are. Most of the time, we don't need to know more. We just need to do more with what we already know. And you know this, right? Whether it's school or your kids or whatever, like that, that's, 
true as a truism in life and it applies in our faith as well because that's what it looks like to trust God. We often drag our feet saying we need more clarity but we usually don't because while it is true that God is too complex for us to f- comprehend fully, he is always clear enough for us to confidently follow him. There's never ever a moment in the scriptures where God tells this is what you need to be doing. This is where I'm leading. And people are like, I don't know what he's talking about. No, he's very clear. Now there's plenty of times where God is like, this is where you need to go. This is what I want you to do. And people are like, we don't wanna do that. And so what is it that God wants us to do? He wants us to love him with our whole heart, with our mind, with all our strength, to love our neighbors as ourselves. And and then gives us his spirit to show us how to do that in our time, in our place, right now, in our relationships in this world. See, it's only when we do what we know we should do right now that we somehow begin to see and know what to do when it comes to what's next. Because God almost always only clarifies for us in the midst of us moving, not before. In the end, my experience has been that most of the time we don't need more clarity. We need more courage. Most of the time, we're not needing it to be more clear. We're just needing the courage to do the thing we already know. And that's actually where this whole conversation about the Holy Spirit is gonna end up next week. It's around a conversation about courage. But here's the thing. It is amazing where God will take you when you're willing to follow him. He will lead you and guide you into a life that you cannot possibly even imagine. In fact, that's exactly what the scriptures say, that God wants to do in your life something exceedingly, abundantly above all that you could ask or even imagine. But you don't get there doing things your way. You get there doing things his way. He wants to lead you into a life that's fuller, richer, deeper, better. But we get there when we choose the mystery of following God's spirit, the mystery of the cloud over what seems like the sure thing, the security of doing the thing that we think we should do. So every week during this series, there's been this little challenge at the end um, that I've encouraged us and challenged us to do all week long. And so it's been certain things about certain, involving certain scriptures, but here's the thing that I wanna invite you and challenge you to do this week is that you take, if you already have a habit of spending time with God and reading the scriptures and praying and all that, fantastic. Um, just build this into it. If you don't have this regular habit, it only takes a few minutes. Spend a few minutes every single morning sitting in your car before you go into work, get away from the kids, you know, turn out the noise, turn off the talk radio or the music, just sit in your car for a few minutes and have a conversation with God and begin to ask him to guide and direct you. And here's the catch though. Pay attention. Take a little bit of extra time, an extra moment to pay attention to any sense that you have that God's spirit is inviting you to do something in your life more like Jesus than the way that you're doing it. And as soon as you feel it, follow it. As soon as you, because 
In my experience, God speaks to all of us. The question is whether or not we slow down enough and are quiet enough to hear it. And so if you invite him, God, I just would you guide and direct me today? Would you lead me where you want me to go? And then you just are quiet. Like he will actually drop something in your heart, in your mind, a conversation that you need to have, something that you need to do. And the moment you feel it, follow it. See, because normally what we do is like, uh, was that God? Because that feels like I don't really want to have that conversation. I don't really want to do that thing. We're just like, I don't know what he's saying to me. Well, here's a good rule of thumb. If the thing that you're feeling like you probably should do is leading you to be more forgiving, more loving, more sacrificial, more humble, more restorative, I, I have pretty good news. That's probably not you that's like telling you to do that. That's probably God. And so you can follow it. You can trust it. See, there's never going to be a moment in your life where God's like, I didn't tell you to do that good. What are you doing the good over there for? That wasn't something I led you to do. How dare you do some good in the world that I didn't tell you to do? That's never going to happen, I promise. But when you start to move, even if you move into that good, and that wasn't exactly where God was leading you, once you're in motion, then he can steer you, but you can't steer a parked car. Let's pray together.